welcome to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. I'm Nathan, and joining me today is Craig. Hello. And Susie. Hello. And I'm doing you in the normal order, so screw you. <laughs> um, I suppose, first of all, I should say uh, sorry if you're one of the people that sits around at home waiting anxiously by your computer for us to produce a podcast, because we've missed at least one month, and uh, probably mostly my fault. No, no, don't feel like anyone else has to chime in there. No, no, that's well, fine. No. Just we, let didn't me take, we didn't nod our heads. We just let you take the blame. Just let me take the blame for that. Um, but we are back. We haven't died yet. Not quite, anyway. But apologies for last month's short recording. Oh, the one before that. Yes, you're quite right. Was it? Oh, well, it wasn't was... last month, because last month we didn't do one. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Okay. The one before the that. The most recent episode was short, yes. because... Susie's mic cut out, unfortunately, and she had so much good stuff to say. Yeah, and considering that most of the content of the podcast is Susie talking, <laughs> it did end up being quite short. However, we um, have had a lot of problems with our microphones, but we are going to remedy that. Well, let's not make any promises Hopefully. just yet. I'm sure See what the new hardware does when I'm we I'm sure get it. we're going to get some new, nice, brand new condenser microphones, and um, all will be lovely from then on. Indeed. Bear with us, please. Yes. Which kind of does naturally lead into the next thing I've got on my agenda, which is the donation that we received. Yay! So yay us. Someone actually, even though I specifically wrote on the website, this probably won't work, don't click on it, someone did. Maybe that's, that's like why the, they did it. It's like the do not press <laughs> yes, this button button. Yes, um, in hindsight, you're quite right. <laughs> probably not the cleverest way of, of doing that. Um... But yeah, so we've got a donation. It was ten dollars, which is um, which is fine. In fact, it's quite generous actually. Yes. Mm. Not going to pay for our new microphones. But. Not quite. No. Mm. Um, I'm going to change that though, because that account that I set up with PayPal, um, PayPal are being a bit difficult about it because I specified that we were a non-profit organisation, and now they're asking for sort of documentation and whatnot. Given that we're a motley crew as opposed to an organisation. Indeed, it's not quite the same thing <laughs> apparently in PayPal's uh, definitions. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to change it to just a normal PayPal account, right. and then I will change the website, and then everyone can start donating. Yeah. All this I, money I think that you've at the same time, make the minimum donation $100. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, 180, didn't you say, for those mics? <laughs> I wonder if it's an appropriate time for me to talk about my siphon challenge now, while uh, we're talking about donations. Like. I was going to do it in the news, but yeah, uh, I but... think talk about it now. Well, if I finish with donations, yes, yeah, so I'm going to change it, and then I will, next podcast, we'll put out a call and everyone can donate all that money you've been dying to give us. Mm. So thank you, anonymous donor. You won't influence our editorial policy well, in any way. It wasn't anonymous per se, but let's not um, name names unless people specifically ask to be acknowledged. How's that? Fair enough. Okay. So you want to tell us about the site fund? How's yeah, that going? Yeah, I want Remind to... Remind us. It's finished. Um, I want to thank all the sceptics who uh, got behind me. Um, in May, I took part in the Siphon Challenge, which was... Uh, run by a couple of ecologists from the US and the idea was to use crowdfunding like musicians and artists use to raise money for science and so I um, It's a bit like Kickstarter for science It's exactly what it is Kickstarter for science um, except it's Rocket Hub for science so it was it's done on a um, it's done on a platform called Rocket Hub and there were 75 projects um, and 
in four weeks we raised over a hundred thousand US dollars for our research. Um, I was trying to raise three thousand US dollars and I raised four thousand four hundred and eighty. Nice. So thank over you very much. Um, and some people on this table even contributed. Thank you very much. I don't think um, I did in the you end, didn't, did I? No. no I was <laughs> so I wasn't talking about you. <laughs> yeah, so thank you everybody. And even if you didn't contribute, thank you any people who helped to paste the link to it on I did Facebook that. and I did stuff. That. Thank you, Nathan. Um, it was great. So, I mean, it just shows you can, you know, people were excited and the feedback I got from the project was great. Um, so you may hear more on this when I run out of money next. Yeah. So what are you going to do with that money? You're I engineering am, bacteria. I am uh, sequencing bacteria that I've forced to evolve. Indeed. So um, I've raised a lot of money to sequence all my bugs, and I'm going to sequence lots of them. And the people so that contributed exciting. get their name written. In glowing bacteria. bacteria. Yeah. Yes. So now we've got to start that process. There's quite a lot yeah. of people. We had, I think, over 70 people contributed. Um, Did they all get the bacteria? Or was not all of them. Level? Most of them, though, actually, because yeah. it was over. If you donated fifty dollars or above, you got that, and most people donated that much. But so they'll still be they'll still be bacteria, won't they? They're not going to evolve into something else. <laughs> so, so you're not you're not trying to create a crop duck, is what he's saying. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, so it was really exciting. It was a, a really tiring way of raising money too, but it was good fun. Really? I would have thought it'd be kind of easy because no. you sort of sit back and let no, it... but you don't. You have to harass everybody you know, uh, and you've got to keep responding to people, and you've got okay. to keep up enthusiasm. And and so, now you've got to write out about sixty odd names and yeah. growing bacteria. Yeah, wow, yeah, which is quite fun actually. Maybe handwriting's good. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you, everybody. Well done. Hooray for hooray for science, science. and hooray for crowdsourcing. Hooray. And what not? Okay. Notice board items, um, just the one item, which is a reminder about the Skeptics Conference. It's Friday the 31st of August to Sunday the 2nd of September, and it's happening at Otago University in Dunedin. And as of last count, I think Craig's going and Susie's going, yep. and I'm still trying to make up my mind because I may not have any money, what with me just buying a house. So You... Capitalist. About to buy a house, yes. What's the word for it? I'm on the on the property ladder. Property mogul is what I am now. <laughs> Look at me. Right. <laughs> Still going to go out about that. No one cares. Um, and on to news. Oh, I suppose I should say um, go to the Skeptics website if you want to register for the conference. And you should go. It's cheap. Uh, it is, really, considering. Mm. Um, you just have to get there and then pay for accommodation. But yeah, mm. yeah, a little bit of that, yeah, but... but Cheaper than going to a science conference. Yeah. It's because nobody's trying to profit from it. It'll be midwinter in Dunedin. We might even get snow. Oh. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and oh, will you tell us about the Creation Museum well, later yes. on? Or we do that now. Oh, well, we can do it now. So this is Craig's idea for an activity for the conference. Well, I guess if we all arrived early, we could take a trip to the Creation Museum of New Zealand. What? There's a creation museum a in creation New Zealand. Creation museum in New Zealand. Um, if you want to go to the website, it is uh, www.creation-museum.org.nz. I'm guessing that might be a trick question. Do I want to go to the website? Well, it's apparently half an hour north of Dunedin. So um, while oh, we're org.nz. Org. .org.nz. Creation-museum.org.nz. 
That means they haven't bought the other domain then. No. We could, we could, um, <laughs> and redirect it to the cusp. <laughs> it's, it doesn't yeah. resolve at all. Anyway, so anyway, um, sorry. it's uh, nothing like the, crea- the famous creation museum in, uh, in, in the States run by um, the illustrious Ken Ham. <laughs> um, it's uh, kind of tragic if you go and have a look at that website. Completely unlike it's, Ken uh, Ham's museum. It's very amateurish um, and not, not at all professional. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just it's just crap. But it might be good for a for an amusing tour. Um, they it looks like they have looks like they have an old some old school building or something that they've turned into the museum. It's called the Almighty Administration Building. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm uh, very very tempted to um, turn this into web pages that suck. dot com. <laughs> so you can feature it as a daily sucker. Yeah, yeah. But they've got a lovely photo gallery on there, so you can see some of the hokey exhibits that they have. You so have to go and see this. I love the Avery, our live exhibit, which is about day five when uh, God populated the atmosphere in the sea. (laughs) The room is home to a variety of native and introduced birds. They've got some pictures of some plastic penguins, it looks like, <laughs> and then possibly a cage with some budgies there's a, in it. Yeah, there's a cage at the top. <laughs> oh, my God. This is, this is hilarious. <laughs> it's horrible. Learn a new perspective. unlike Ken Ham's museum. Learn a new perspective on those icons of evolution. Darwin's finches. Nice. Library and meeting room looks like a very small dining room Oh, you should see the lecture theatre. Oh, I want to see oh, the Walking with theater. Dinosaurs room. Photo, the photo theater? gallery B. B? Last, last photo is the lecture theatre. Oh, look at this. Yeah. Oh, they've actually got sort of lecture table things. Yeah. Looks like, it looks like a some sort of um, probably polytech classroom, I think, from the yeah. 60s. So it'd be fair to say then that they probably don't have Ken Ham's money. No, I don't think so. Uh, or the money um, like Ken Ham does. And um, yeah, the, what we believe, the Bible is divinely inspired, is divinely inspired, historically accurate book. The universe reveals the handiwork of God. The study of natural phenomena using scientific methods helps us to understand God's created order. The basic forms of life, including man, were created, not evolved, by God as independent functional entities and subsequent variations of the original kinds have been bounded. Bounded? Yeah. Wow. The Genesis flood was a... His- was a historical global event and as Christians we believe that salvation made necessary by the fall of Adam and Eve comes only through the redemptive work of Christ oh my god wait Um, they also have galleries of fame and shame on the one hand honouring the host of bible believing scientists who pioneered a variety of branches of science exploring God's creation for his glory on the other hand raising awareness of the significant impact evolutionary thought has had on politics education and religion undermining the foundations of civil society and contributing to such ills as abortion eugenics and the holocaust blah 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 mm. blah blah mm. so look this is a very good chance that I'm not going to be at this conference can I make an official request that you take a video camera with you and oh, do yeah. a guided video tour yeah. of this place well, please 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 presumably you actually need to kind of book tour um from what i can see so we'd need to email the, the person and say well we'd like to come and have a look and uh, i think it would probably be uh um dishonest <laughs> if we didn't say that we were skeptics oh no well they're not going to take you through with let you go through with cameras if you tell them you're skeptics. we could tell them we're a, a really uh, we uh, 
I mean, they take church groups through. We could say we're the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, and yeah. but leave out the Flying Spaghetti Monster bit. Yeah. Oh, well. well, I'll send the guy an email and yeah. um, just Find see out. what the um, protocol is for actually getting a tour. But anyway, yeah, we may be surprised. They may show us some good evidence. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But um, if their website is anything to go by, I suspect not. Just all go in with, with big cross necklaces and try and keep the snickering to a minimum. They'll never know. Yep. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to keep my snickering to a minimum. I'm sorry, I'm going to let us all down. Well, I might actually go into two, maybe go in two groups. People like Susie and one group, and you just constantly ask well, questions. We've had a lot of interest time. today. Well, two groups through. Yeah. Oh. oh, you've got to ask them if they're planning on building an ark, a life size ark, and turning it into a cafe. All right, so uh, carrying on. Okay, moving on to the next thing, which is our news items. Um, first one is a study that's been done, shall I say, recently? Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, it probably wasn't done recently, but yeah. it was recently published in Science. Right, so recently published a study that suggests that analyt analytical thinking can decrease religious belief. Susie. Yes, so this study has recently been published in Science, as I said, and it finds that analytical um, thinking increases disbelief among believers and skeptics alike. So what they did was they got people to do problem-solving tasks, but um, subtly primed them before they did them. So one of the things they did for priming was to show participants pictures of Rodin's sculpture, The Thinker, or asked people to complete questionnaires um, in hard-to-read fonts. And what they said was that these priming things got people to think more and or to think more analytically. So instead of just doing um, like really quick and easy thinking, they actually had to yeah. think a little deeper. And this then, when they did the tasks, um, made them uh, essentially... The, their religious belief decreased. Does that make sense? So they, um, yeah. So they had some tasks to do. They primed them to think more analytically, and then when they assessed their um, belief levels, uh, they found that religious belief so decreased. So they're, ac they're activating when, the higher, yeah, uh, rational part of the brain, engaging that, and then giving yeah. them, asking them questions about religious belief. Yeah, rather than getting to th yeah. them to think intuitively. Intuitively. Um, yeah, so it's quite interesting, really. That so, um, kind of makes sense to me as well. I mean, is, is that not a bit obvious? Or is this one of those things that they've tested it even though yeah, it is and it's, a bit Yeah, and obvious? it says, the guy, the, the one of the co-authors says that our study builds on previous research that links religious belief to intuitive thinking. And so what they're finding is that activating the anal analytical cognitive system undermines this intuitive support. Are they At saying, least temporarily is what they say. Well, that's the thing. Is, are they saying that doing these exercises then makes people rethink their religious beliefs permanently, or is it just a temporary thing? Gervais okay. so. says, future studies will explore whether the increase in religious disbelief is temporary or long-lasting, oh, and okay. how the fundings apply to non-Western cultures. Mm. Uh, I mean, the, the obvious answer to that, of course, is if you are temporarily convinced to be less religious, and you do that over a period of time, then theoretically that should add up. Uh, as every time you, you think about it, hmm. you become a little hmm. bit less religious. I mean, that's pretty much what happened to me. I wonder what a hard-to-read font is. 
Comic Sans. Yes, okay. So, any other discussion about that? Nah. Good. But yeah, maybe, so maybe all the creationist literature should be made to be in a hard-to-read font. (laughs) (laughs) And then people read it and go, That doesn't "Eh?" violate anyone's freedom of speech, does it? (laughs) If you publish something creationist or or pseudoscientific, it must be in a hard-to-read font. (laughs) Maybe you could build a a browser plugin that would turn any creationist site into a hard-to-read font. (laughs) Now, there you go, using technology. I saw uh, uh, an ad the other day for a web filter specifically designed to um, block oh, religious yeah, websites. Yeah, yeah. Which I thought was quite to a clever prevent, idea. Uh, harm to your children. Prevent harm to your children, yeah. Oh, very nice. Yeah. God, God block or something, something like that. Yeah. yeah. It was very good. Uh, okay, so that's that. Send them to the porn instead. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, judge overrules parents to save the life of a young Australian girl. Doctors have made an urgent plea to the Supreme Court in Australia, to help save the life of a Jehovah's Witness girl dying of leukemia. Now, of course, the girl herself isn't a Jehovah's Witness No, I was about to say that. But obviously her parents are. A child of Jehovah's Witness parents. And the um, hero of the day, paediatric oncologist, Dr. Petra Ritchie. Yay. Yay. Um, So she was leaving the Supreme Court. Uh, She testified that the young girl would die without an urgent blood transfusion, and the court agreed and that the court also agreed that the parents didn't have the right to kill their child, and so they forced them... Well, yeah, they didn't... They, they, uh, <laughs> they said that she's having the blood transfusion even if you don't agree, so... Yeah. 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 So, it's in the submission of the plaintiff that she received a blood transfusion as soon as possible. Um, and yeah, The girl's parents, uh, acting for the girl's parents, said his clients deeply love their child, it's not like they are acting with callous disregard for her well-being or her future, he said. <laughs> um, isn't, isn't there a law about telling lies in a courtroom? <laughs> Clearly it's their genuine beliefs. It's something that they've been convinced to accept by anyone else, by the church or other believers. I'm not sure that sentence passes. Does it? Well, not the way you read it, anyway. Well, <laughs> it's a genuine belief. It's something that they've been convinced but, but, yeah, to obviously, by anyone yeah. else. I mean, by belonging to that particular church, then yeah. they believe that blood transfusions are bad, and, yeah. and so that they... Now, he seems to think, though, that that's somehow an excuse. Um, yeah. Well, I, 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 I mean, obviously the parents love their child, and um, they're probably actually relieved that, um, the, that the decision was taken out of their hands. Possibly. Maybe. There's actually a, um, a, a poll on the site saying, do you agree with the court's decision to oh, overrule the parents' religious beliefs? Well, we can all vote yes for that. And, in fact, 84% of yeah. people voted yes. Completely unscientific, of course, but... Um, it's fine. But it's always good when things go our way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And the girl was four. I don't know if I mentioned that. Four-year-old yeah. girl. Mm. So hopefully um, the blood transfusion will actually um, save her life. Yes, which would be the uh, tragic irony, I suppose, is that the blood transfusion doesn't actually help. Hmm. And, and then she goes to hell as well as dying. Yes, indeed. Right, moving on to the suicide notes. Now this is an interesting one. I'm not sure if I agree with this or not, but let's have a look. A UK blog about homeopathic uh, homeopathic medicines. 
has put forth the hypothesis that UK homeopathy groups have written suicide notes. Now, the notes in question are letters that have been sent to all of their members. Do I name the groups? What's the homeopathy SOH? Is that Society? Society of Homeopaths. Of Homeopaths. And the Alliance and of Registered Homeopaths. The Alliance of Registered... Oh, this... That would be the ARH. I've got them both being the same well, website. Anyway, anyway um, the letters are calls for action for their members to write to their members of parliament um, to complain about legislation that's about to be voted on. Hmm. Um, so there's been a review of the Medicines Act in the UK and it turns out that the, the, the upshot of that is that uh, pharmacists won't be able to sell homeopathic medicines without a prescription or without um, a consultation with the person wanting to buy the medicine. So, so the homeopaths are saying, well, you won't be able to order these things on the f over the phone or online anymore. Yeah. It actually states in the letter, um, once this review of the Medicines Act has been concluded, if Section 10 remains unchanged, it will clearly state that it is unlawful to supply unlicensed homeopathic medicines, i.e. most remedies, by phone, mail order, or via the internet. Um, blah, I like blah, blah, the bit where it says, um, the enforcement of Section 10 in its current form will have serious consequences for the 6 million people in the UK who choose to use this form of complementary medicine. Um, it will also have serious consequences for more than 2,000 homeopathic practitioners, <laughs> many of whom would find it impossible to treat patients like myself because they can no longer obtain the appropriate homeopathic medicine. I suggest they would just be able to turn on the tap. Yes, I think so too. <laughs> Everybody has a homeopathic medicine source in their house. I think you're missing the point there, so <laughs> Homeopathic medicines have been specially potentialised oh, sorry, sorry. and succussed and but. so forth. But surely somebody who wanted to order over the internet, wouldn't they, just, order. wouldn't they just order it from an international site? Yeah, well, wouldn't, they could, wouldn't, could have difficulty getting things like that through customs. Well, uh, yeah, but wouldn't sellers just check. pop up over somewhere in Europe and they order them from Spain or whatever? Well, you don't want to get your um, homeopathic medicines from places like Mexico because it'll be, <laughs> it'll be bad for you. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, on the, on the whole, it looks like Section 10 is a good thing. And the point that's being made uh, by whoever it is that writes this blog is that these two letters that have been released are effectively signing a death warrant because they're admitting uh, the fact that they won't be able to sell homeopathic medicine anymore. So theoretically, if they then turn around and do so, um, this very letter will be evidence that they are breaking the law. Right. Uh, something like that. That's. I've just had a, a skim of mm. the... Well, I think it's a bit like... of a stretch to call them a, a committing suicide, but um, it's uh, maybe, well, I'm it's on my way out. See what you can do to yeah. <laughs> prevent my death. But, yeah. uh, putting the campaign issues into the public domain means that there is no way back. What has been said cannot be unsaid. The bridges have been burnt. The genie will not go back into the bottle. Hmm. Um, so, basically, yeah, there's, there's now a deadline, a date, at which unregistered homeopathic medicines have to be removed hmm. from the... Uh, and pharmacists selling them can be struck off or be criminally Indeed. prosecuted. Criminally prosecuted.
So, yeah. Good thing. Yeah. We should get that here. We should. Well, Otherwise, we'll have an influx of um, English homeopaths coming and setting oh, up shop God, in New Zealand. No. <laughs> so, well done, the UK. Oh, that's yours, Susie. Pain relief using acupuncture. Isn't that what it's already used for? Well, you can make it even better. So, this is an interesting little paper in the journal called Molecular Pain. And it shows how uh, some researchers have exploited the molecular mechanism behind acupuncture to make... Um, well, actually, so it's quite interesting. So... Acupuncture. <laughs> so what they're saying... So, and I really like the, the new name that they're giving it. Papuncture. Sorry, papupuncture. I knew I was going to screw that up. Papupuncture. So, the idea is that um, when uh, when you shove a needle in somebody, uh, or you give them acupuncture, that there is, um, hang on a minute, you get um, nucleotides released that are converted to um, adenosine. Um, and this can decrease the body's sensitivity to pain. And it's really a very uh, short-term effect. So I'm guessing this is, uh, this presumably is perfectly, fits perfectly with the fact that it doesn't matter whether you use a meridian or not. Um, so essentially you c there, is, there is potentially some effect. Anyway, this is what they're saying, there is some effect. And if they, so what they did was they injected a chemical known as PAP that makes um, adenosine into the acupuncture point and to see whether it could mimic this pain relief. And what they found was that the pain relief lasted a hundred times longer. I there was actually some pain relief by injecting the substance. Okay, Presumably, the substance itself is not a pain reliever. No, but it converts into adenosine, which can, they say, um, uh, can decrease the body sensitivity to pain. Right, so it kind of is a pain reliever. Well, yeah, yes. Okay. So I'm quite, I'm a little bit confused how, how it relates to acupuncture then. Well, no, they just, so they say, they say that one of the potential, this is, if you're coming from the point of view that acupuncture can work, yeah, yeah, yeah. one of the potential mechanisms it could work by is stimulating the release of adenosine at the site, right. and this is a pain reliever. So the injection is designed to be fake acupuncture. No, by forcing the, the generation. No, of, no, it's it's injecting a substance which converts to adenosine. Yes. So you make so you are making this thing that they say is a potential way that acupuncture could work. So so, so by themselves, putting needles in you generates a small amount of adenosine. Yeah. But now what they're can, actually doing you, is putting some more in that so actually converts. To converts adenosine that yeah, actually a substance that does convert to adenosine. You, so uh, that would an give you a pain relief. Uh, yeah. Right. And and this is what they say that they they that the single injection was effective at reducing the symptoms associated with inflammatory pain and neuropathic pain. Interesting. But it's coming from the um, the this is this is how acupuncture could work kind of hmm. things. Um, do they give any indication of how much of the substance is released when you do acupuncture? No. No, and I tried so to find the paper, but it, very all small wouldn't, it wouldn't let me find it. Oh, so, okay. um, and this was done in mice. So I'm not quite sure what they did to. Uh, in fact, I'm not sure I really want to know what they did to the mice to find out whether it was. Um, I guess there are things that you could do, like 
poking at them that would um, give you a score of whether or not they were hurting. Oh, um, no, this is, this is just odd. We knew that PAP makes adenosine and lasts for days following spinal injection, so we wondered what would happen if we injected PAP yeah. into an acupuncture point. Can we mimic the pain relief that occurs with acupuncture but have it last longer? Haven't they got that backwards? <laughs> they have. Shouldn't they be trying to inject it at random points yes. and see if the acupuncture is more effective it's than the random? Yes. Right, okay. Yes. Blah, blah, yeah. blah. This also happens to be the location of the White's Hong acupuncture yeah. point. Remarkably, they saw the pain relief lasted 100 times longer than a traditional acupuncture treatment. Of course it did. Because they're injecting a substance that creates yes. pain relief. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I take it back my earlier comment. That's not interesting at all. <laughs> it's stupid. Speaking of <laughs> acupuncture, in the life and style section in the Herald recently, acupuncture pins and needles for good health. Medicine is something we usually turn to only when we are ill, but increasing numbers of New Zealanders are using acupuncture to maintain good health, sometimes in conjunction with traditional Western medicine, sometimes as an alternative. It's nothing new, of course. The text, belie believed to be the earliest in traditional Chinese medicine, the Yellow Emperor's Inner Classic, was written over 2,000 years ago with the emphasis on maintaining health and preventing disease. But acupuncture is now a treatment growing in popularity worldwide with positive results from research being carried out in fertility, immunology, and its known effectiveness in the treatment of muscle and nerve pain. This country, in this country, acupuncture is recognised by health insurance companies and organisations such as Southern Cross, ACC, WINS, The Police, NZ Post, and Air New Zealand. What? Show me one this of these advertorial. Oh, I was going to say. It's in the Show life me one of those pieces of evidence. I'd be but very geez. interested. How did I miss that one? Does no, it actually say it's just terrible? Um, no, 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 but it's in the life and style section. That means that. No, it's so it's actually been written. No, by it is a, written by one of their. Yeah. So it's been it's being pre presented as an article. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just been written by an acupuncturist. Yeah. As a press release. Yeah. Exactly. Now, what was, what was someone saying about, um, what's the magazine that was about to do a... North, North and South. South. It's North fab. South. I've Have got it got down it? there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should be talking about that. Yes, yeah, sorry, that was on my list of things and I forgot. Perhaps okay, we should read the article that. first. I'll find it. <laughs> and then we'll talk about that under New Zealand. Are we all going to take a break to read the article? Uh, well, you can summarise it and then we can talk about it. Um, so what's the article about? Do you believe in magic? Oh, the truth. Oh, okay. Right. Yes, right. And you say it's brilliant. It's fab. Oh, good. Okay. So, shall we just skip ahead to human evolution being held in check by infectious diseases, Susie? This is an interesting paper um, that has just been published. Where? Penis. <laughs> <laughs> Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. P-N-A-S, but that's called penis. Right, yes. Um, and... Did they do that deliberately? <laughs> Seriously? No, I don't think they did it deliberately. Uh, well, and I think they'd probably get quite the, close the, to hear us calling it penis. There's also the Palmerston North Operatic Society, which really? I used to penis. Mm. Nice. So, 100,000 years ago, there was a bottleneck in human evolution. And there were essentially only five to 10,000 individuals believed to be living in Africa. Right? So, there's a sort of bottleneck. So, this is where Adam and, and Eve came from. <laughs> And so there's been lots of um, discussion around what could have been, uh, what could have made this bottleneck. 
And so various things have been said, like, um, or what allowed us to escape from this bottleneck. And one of them was that it was our language or that it was something to do with climate. Someone else has even said um, volcanic eruption might be what made the thing in the first place. Um, but there's been this really interesting paper published um, that's given the reason for this bottleneck as infectious diseases, and particularly um, infectious diseases that affected newborns and infants, well, and fetuses, I guess. So essentially, if you keep wiping them out, then you're, you're going to have a big bottleneck. But after this bottleneck... So then, how do they know this? What do you mean? How do they know this happened? Or is this just a hypothesis? Oh, no, I... Um no, I think that I think it's. It must be to do with either how many things. Um, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds plausible to me. I have no idea. I'm sure an evolutionary biologist would know. Heads up, I have no idea. But anyway, apparently there was this bottleneck, and then after that there was this dramatic um, expansion in population, and they and then they went forth, and so went uh, expanded in numbers and locations, and essentially then. Uh, Outcompeted is not quite the right word, but they um, replaced what what other uh, human yeah else, Neanderthals yeah. and stuff like that were around. Okay, so the idea is that w that these guys now have evidence that this bottleneck was possibly due to infectious diseases killing off the young, and what's happened is there's been a, a change in two genes that they've identified um, that. Um, remove our um, susceptibility to a couple of really important infectious agents that are responsible for these for the killing of newborns and stuff. Um, and what they've Allowing done... Allowing them to breed and yeah, spread out. Yes, exactly. So yeah. so that we've had these... So one of the genes is gone and another gene has mutated so that it's not quite so... It's not the same size anymore. And those genes are now... They're involved in the immune system and those genes are now not uh, recognised by, um, well, not, not bound by these nasty uh, nasty bugs, one of which is, um, or two of which, in fact, are, are to do with uh, infections in, in babies and things. Um, but the, the, the related versions are found in, um, in uh, other non-human, sorry, yeah, non-human primates, right? So... Essentially, what you've had is an activation of two very specific genes involved in the immune system that make us less susceptible to these agents that killed newborns, fetuses, infants. And when these researchers have made the versions of these genes that our non-human primate ancestors, uh, non, sorry, non-human primate relatives have, then these proteins are bound by these nasty bugs. So essentially, they they would allow them to cause infection. So essentially, we were kept in check. Uh, we were, as a population, we were kept in check by these organisms. We mutated these genes, and then that allowed us to f our population to flourish and move out. Oh, that was quite cool. Yes. Hmm. So it was a uh, bugs kept us in check. We mutated. We evolved, and uh, and then went forth and colonised the world. I liked that paper. I thought that was quite interesting. In penis. Which, which could be argued is not necessarily a good thing. Well. But there we go, it's happened now. So it's good for our species. Yes, of course. And presumably the uh, And presumably the, the bugs didn't um, co-evolve to um, These are still pretty nasty bugs. Yeah. But obviously um, survivable. Yeah. Well, well we're less susceptible now than we were when we were just then, killing yeah. everybody. Mm. Yeah. And it's possible that they have evolved as well. 
And then you've got this arms race thing where... Yeah. Absolute. Oh, interesting. I thought that was interesting. So what are, what, are the, uh, what are the creationists saying about this research? <laughs> because I imagine they, uh, they must be delighted <laughs> with this new evidence. We don't need no stinking evidence. Uh, Indeed. Absolutely. Okay. So, Susie. Oh, you've already talked about the sci fun challenge, haven't yeah. you? So we don't need That's to do that now. Well, that leaves us with two items for Woo Zealand. The first is a not-so-recent article, but still, I think, interesting or need to be, needs to be mentioned, is that benefits may soon be linked to kids' jabs. What that slightly ambiguous headline means is that the government is considering the possibility of requiring beneficiaries to immunise their children in order to receive uh, their full entitlement. Uh, hmm. Blah, blah, blah. Paula Bennett. We see immunizations as important. So when you're looking at these kinds of things, you question at what point should a social obligation be part of a requirement to get a benefit? Well, sure. But shouldn't they be obligating all parents to um, give their children that vaccines? Is, that is a good kind point. Of, um, discriminatory to Indeed, say. Indeed. That's that one of the arguments that's been made hmm. um, is that everyone should be required to get a. Yeah, you should have to have your children vaccinated unless you have a good reason not to Indeed. so they can attend school. By good reason, we mean well, uh, some sort of medical physi- reason. physiological yeah. reason rather yeah. than an ideological yeah, indeed. reason. Indeed. Um, under the changes... Oh, and here's the, here's the stupid bit. Under changes, beneficiaries would be able to opt out of immunisation for conscientious reasons, but it would change the social obligation of people on welfare to vaccinate their children. And so the arguments that have been made as well is that uh, the people that tend to opt out of, uh, of immunisations are not necessarily those in a lower socioeconomic... They're not. They're all my yeah. bloody neighbours. Yeah. Susie's neighbours yeah. in Ponsonby, basically. Yes. Um, there is a possibility that uh, people of a lower socioeconomic, whatever a socioeconomic thing is, are... Strata? Yeah. Yeah. Group, I suppose. Group. Um, yeah may not have the money to necessarily pay for all the vaccinations. They're I don't free. know if well, no, they're, they're all free, free or not. Free. I think it's are more about free? not having a GP, actually. Right. Okay. Well, yes, but they so, should enrol in a primary health organisation. They should. They should. And so. Yeah, but, you know, when you're trying to feed your family and maybe working loads of jobs, you can see how these things and happen. And you get busy and, yeah, maybe you don't know. Mm. So yeah. there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there as well. Education and... Public awareness. Well, I guess it sends the right message anyway. Indeed. That, um, that you should be vaccinating your kids. Well, I think they should be vaccinated if they want to go to school. Yeah, yeah. well, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they shouldn't um, be able to opt out. Anyway. Not unless they have a serious uh, medical condition medicine, that means yeah. they can't have it. Yeah, indeed. So that's on the table, apparently, so we're not sure where that's going. And, uh, Along with taking children off parents who are abusers or murderers. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's move on to the next there. topic. <laughs> <laughs> Ten foot pole in play there. Um, let's cover a what new, what's, let's cover something's good. Sorry, yes, something yes, yes. So what are the, the quite interesting and exciting Woo Zealand item, it's which not Susie a is probably going to argue is not Woo It's not Woo Zealand. at all. Um, 
uh, is a Susie. fantastic feature in this month's North and South, and it's on the front page of on the front cover, and it says, "Do you believe in magic? The truth about alternative medicine." I just want to point out at this point that North and South had another one, another article a couple of years ago about about vaccines. That was also quite positive. They did. That was last year. It was fantastic. Last year. Yes. And this is by, the main articles by my favourite journalist of the moment, Margot White. Um, So it starts with an editorial uh, by Virginia Larson, which is fantastic. And she just says, um, I await a barrage of Facebook indignation from homeopaths, herbalists and naturopaths, amongst others. So that can tell you (laughs) essentially what they've come up with. so actually, I would like every. I'm going to try and encourage yeah. some people to I'm, write in. Who's just going to go and do it now? In response to say thank you for putting this um, this up because she will get loads of uh, movie. negative movie letters. book and TV I, and show. I'm sure book. she'll. Um, um, I'm sure she'll be uh, nominated for receiving the the, the anti bent spoon or whatever it is. Actually, that. I think I think Margot White okay. should have it because she's written some fantastic articles this mm. year so far. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll Did be suggesting she her. She wrote the article last year about vaccinations. No, because she would have got a reward for that probably. No, they, they didn't get that. It wasn't the vaccination one. Didn't get it. Oh, okay. It different one. Oh, we should make no, sure. No, but she she's written the, the detox one in the listener recently. Oh, okay. Um, and a couple of other things. Uh, yeah. So um, okay. So it starts with Margot's article. Um, should we swallow it? Um, and it's it sort of essentially starts with her starts with um, vitamins and minerals and things. But she's a great writer and, and she's written a really nice piece. They um, talk a little bit about high dose vitamin C. They talk about omega threes. In fact, our friend um, what's his name, Sean Holt, keeps popping up numerous times. They reproduce that fantastic. Um, oh, excellent! This is this brilliant uh, infograph. Yeah, about alter- uh, well about. Um, supplements and things which we'll put a link to because it's fantastic so it's the scientific evidence for lots of different things and whether it's plausible or not plausible whether there's any evidence at all da, da, da. so anyway we'll link to that there's also an article by um, Linda Exton the 10 things you should know about alternative treatments um, for instance uh, have little or no evidence of effectiveness currently lack reg- um, adequate regulation you may not be buying what you think you're buying um, what else? There may be dangerous additives. Um, and she talks about a fantastic... Um, well, they may contain nothing at all. Yeah, but this this is more scary. That this There's been a couple of cases. Um, so there was... What was it? Uh, da, 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 da. There's been um, lead poisoning from my favourite Ayurvedic uh, products. Um and this one, good. Uh, in 2011, MedSafe also recalled two natural sexual enhancement products, Get Stiff and Maximize, um, <laughs> because they actually contained the active ingredients of prescription drugs for erectile dysfunction. So they weren't oh. natural at all. So um, they, they ground up Viagra or Cialis. And but it says, in. in just one year, local authorities discovered that some 20 herbal products contained hidden conventional medicines. Anyway, uh, so that's really good. And they say herbal products don't work. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then there's also a little feature on homeopathy, which um, Vicky Hyde is uh, interviewed for. Um, and, yeah, and it's not <laughs> it's not very... Uh, it's, it's not complimentary. But it does, um, it does have Sean Holt... 
he has the last word, which is that homeopathic practitioners are very good at looking after their patients. They're sympathetic, better at communication, their appointments last an hour or so. In the busy health system, some doctors don't have the time or skills for that. But for me, the answer is not to say, let's refer people to homeopaths. The answer is let's learn that's what patients want and try and bring that sympathy and communication back into medicine. Well done. Yeah. So, yeah, so um, get it and read it. It's fantastic. And uh, we should write some write them letters a nice letter and support because... Uh, hmm. I've just yeah. liked them on Facebook and you can post Great. a message on their Facebook page. Great. Um, so the more encouragement we can give the media for things like this, yeah. the better. Hmm. Yes, very good. Uh, yeah, so happy with that. That was quite good. Oh, God. Was it a half a page? On the Ponsonby News. <laughs> so, now we're going to spend about an hour and a half ranting about the Ponsonby News, Susie. Oh, I'll try Bear in mind, to... we do have an interview to get through okay, as well. Okay, okay. All right. So, um, this month is a... Oh, it's a, it's a treat. We've got their vet who thinks her cat's telepathic. Um, ah, there you go. Uh, there's an advert for... Um, Psychic house parties. And I just love the way these articles are written because it sounds like it's not being written by someone with a huge conflict of interest. And then you realize, oh, <laughs> oh funnily enough, it is. Oh. It's being written by somebody who hosts um, ah, things I like see. these. So these are being uh, presented as articles. Yeah, and they're not. It's really frustrating. Sorry, I'm trying to find all my pages. There's a um, quote there that um, I read recently. I think it was Sam Harris who says, um, if the president told us he was talking to God, that God talked to him through his hairdryer, <laughs> we'd think he was batshit crazy. And he's unsure why the addition of a hairdryer makes it any worse. <laughs> and as soon as you said telepathic cats, I was like, that is a crazy person, someone who needs to be locked up, well, who anyway, needs treatment. Um, what is interesting is they seem to have a new health correspondent. My, my old friend is still there, and we'll get to him in a minute. Um, but they have a new one called Lani Lopez, um, who's written Sounds a whole like a load. Healing she, she power of nature. She doesn't sell supplements, supplements well, though, does she? Well, you should say that, because <laughs> she does, actually. She does. And one of them's quite interesting, because it's based on... Um, uh, res resveratrol? Resveratrol. Yeah, which yeah. is essentially... Um, there seems to be no evidence for, um, and in fact, the, one of the main people who's been studying it um, has been found guilty of 145 counts of fabrication and falsification of data. And as of this month, four of the journals have retracted 12 of his papers. Wow. Anyway, so that's our latest one. We look forward to seeing what she's got to, uh, to, to add to the debate. Um, I have heard of res resveratol before. What's it supposed to do? It's oh, it's an antioxidant. Ah, I see. And they're all put, it's meant to know. be in plentiful supply in red wine, I think. Yes. Oh, yes, yes that's, that's what it is. You're quite red, right. Red wine. Anyway, so my nemesis, John Appleton. Um, it's an interesting this one this month because I don't think he sells this as a supplement, um, but I haven't actually checked. Uh, could coconut oil be an option for treating Alzheimer's, he says. Um, and he quotes um, a doctor, I think she is, Dr. Newport, um, who has a uh, husband with Alzheimer's, and she's been giving him uh, coconut oil, and he's been getting better. Um, well, that's right, as long as it's not just anecdotal evidence. Mm, mm. 
Well, it's funny enough, she actually has a book. She's written about it. Um, Before or after she conducted her highly scientific trial? <laughs> Maybe guess she lives on a tropical Pacific island. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so so he's so he's doing his usual thing of um, so you know, big pharma, blah blah blah, big pharma, and you know the health industry depends on everybody being ill. So of course they're gonna they're gonna stop this. Um, and then he talks about that actually the coconut oil might be not be so crazy because. Um, so the whole way it works is based on ketones, and I'm going to explain this in a minute, but essentially what he does is he segues very nicely into the fact that ketones are used to treat epilepsy. So if ketones are used to treat epilepsy, then why can't coconut oil be used to treat, to treat um, Alzheimer's? Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about ketones. Um, essentially, in a normal diet, uh, we convert carbohydrates into glucose, right? Yep. If you have a diet that's really low in carbohydrates, but really high in fat, then the liver converts the fats into fatty acids and ketones, and then these can be used in place of glucose as a source of energy. Okay, so, um, so what, so there is a, there is a diet that is used to treat children who are non-responsive to um, drugs for epilepsy. So those children who you can't treat with anti-convulsive drugs, they treat with this high-fat adequate protein, low carbohydrate diet. And it's a pretty strict diet. Um, so note here, it's not, it's high fat, but it's not coconut oil. I mean, coconut oil can be added to it, but it's not, that's not the basis. It's not just giving kids coconut oil. It's a very strict diet. Um, and actually there are some, um, and, and this, and so this, this, there's lots of evidence this, that this works for these kids. So if they're non-responsive to normal treatment, you give them this diet and actually it does make them, uh, it does stop their, um, their, their fits and things. But there are also people who you can't give it to. So people who have um, fat metabolism disorders, if you give them this diet, then they essentially break down the protein in their body and will die in the end, right? But it's also, um, it does have some side effects. So weight loss, constipation, kidney stones, raised cholesterol um, in women, it can stop the period. So that, so it's not, a, it's not without its... Um, disadvantages, but for kids who are not treating, who are not responding to treatment, it's a good thing. Okay, so so that's that's the ketones and um, epilepsy. Now, I have been able to find some studies that um, going on this um, or going on this similar kind of diet actually does seem to have some effect in those with mild to moderate Alzheimer's. So there are a couple of, well, and all, all we've got so far is that there are a few studies who've shown that there have been improved scores on some cognitive Alzheimer's assessment scale for those with mild to moderate Alzheimer's if you give them this kind of diet where essentially you have lots of, you have high levels of these ketones you in the blood. You essentially cut out your carbohydrates. Mm, right. Yeah. Well, yes. Um, but what's really interesting is the last paper I just found on it is actually... Um, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. So they've done a massive um, randomized, double-blinded, placebo-controlled trial and found that um, carriers of the major risk factor, so a particular allele gene that people have that puts them at risk of um, late-onset Alzheimer's, did not respond to this high levels of ketone. So there are some people 
with certain uh, with Alzheimer's, so who have a certain genetic uh, predisposition. predisposition to Alzheimer's, who respond really well to these diets, and then the one actually that's the most common for late onset don't. So actually, this is this is giving some indication of what might be going on in Alzheimer's. If you if it's if there's all these things about metabolism and stuff, you can find out what's you know uh -huh. th this can lead to some. So some people are getting it because of the genes, and some people might be getting it for some other reason. Yeah, I think it's complicated, but there, but there are there are genetic markers for for it, and and the, what they're finding is actually that depending on what genetic markers you have, some people might respond to this these high key these high fat diets. Yeah. Um, and these ketones in the blood, because the ketones are used in, in place of glucose in the brain. Right. What it's a fantastic example of is personalized medicine, where actually the more we learn about people and the more we learn about what is the cause of disease, means you can tailor treatments to them. This does not give everybody with Alzheimer's coconut oil. This is people with specific genetic markers for Alzheimer's of some sort or another. You, you give them particular diets that raise the levels of ketones in their blood, you may well um, have a positive effect on their symptoms. It's just the usual bullshit of saying, oh, well, here we go, everybody start taking coconut oil, when actually that's not the answer. And there are some fantastic science being done, which of course he doesn't address at all, because it's not the one-size-fit-all approach that these guys want. So what you're talking about is, is the future. Yeah. When we... When we sequence we everyone's sequ genome, sequence and we someone's know genome, and then we know how to treat got. them yeah. for whatever yeah. they've got. Yeah. That's exactly it. And Which, of we course, would why would we expect John Appleton to know about stuff like that? It's only taken me 20 minutes on the bloody internet to find all these <laughs> damn papers. <laughs> Indeed. Anyway, I shall start ranting. Deep there breath. you go. <laughs> Happy now? <sighs> yes. Right. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Susie. <laughs> and now we have an interview with Dr. Lawrence Krauss, who has the, I don't want to say unfortunately, but is... The, d the distinction of being the second, uh, the first person that we've interviewed twice. Now, I say unfortunately because the last episode we were supposed to interview Michael Edmonds. Michael Edmonds, and he would have been the first person that we have interviewed twice. Um, so I apologise to Michael Edmonds for our recording fuck up that caused his interview to sort of disappear into the ether. Um, and we will interview him again if he's willing to give it another go. Um, but for now, let's uh, hear... Now, I wasn't here for this, so I don't know if it's any good or not. It's fantastic. Um, sorry if it's not up to our usual standard. It's, uh, Craig and Susie managed to catch up with Lawrence after his here uh, for the lectures Readers and recently. Writer. Readers, Readers and Writers Festival. Festival. Indeed. Let's play well, that uh, now. Susie and I are talking to Professor Lawrence Krauss, um, who is a cosmologist and science populariser and author of uh, nine books and over 300 scientific publication, uh, publications and he's currently at the Arizona State University as the inaugural director of the Origins Project. Um, his most recent book is The Universe from Nothing, Why There is Something Rather Than Nothing. And uh, you're in New Zealand as part of the Reader and Readers and Writers Festival. That's right, and, and uh, that's what brought me here primarily. I'm also, I think, something called a good fellow at the university. Okay. So for that, you just had to come and give that talk? I actually, well, in principle, I guess, although I'm giving another lecture tomorrow, but a more scientific one. So. Hmm. But, okay. uh, yeah, so I guess I had to do something. I had to sing for my supper. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you certainly had a bit of uh, media exposure here in New Zealand. Yeah, apparently, yeah, uh, yeah. I did another one today, actually. Kim and, uh, Hill. Kim Hill. How'd that go? 
very well. She's quite impressive. It will air on Saturday, but she's really she's quite impressive. Clever, isn't she? She's great. Yeah. Yeah, she knows a lot and asks detailed and deep questions. And um, yeah, I was very impressed. Oh, very good. Yeah, well, well, um, my mother, who's nearly 70, saw you on Close Up the other night, and oh. uh, she was very impressed with you. And, uh, oh, well, she, that's good. Uh, I'm give her my regards. <laughs> I shall do. Okay, so, um, and so you've had a good reception at your talks? Uh, yeah, I think they've all been, been, well, they've all been very well attended, but, uh, but I think people enjoyed them. I like to think people did, so I, I, yeah. I, I enjoyed the festival a lot, listening to some of the other people as well, and... And the events I did were, 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 were fun, I think. Hmm. And as I like to say, no one died, so that's another good thing. <laughs> yeah. in, in New Zealand, do you sort of seem to get um, people who come along wanting to argue with you? Or how does that compare to, to talks elsewhere in the world? Well, I mean, there, you know, there's always a few people who want to do that. Um, and, and New Zealand is no different than anywhere else in that regard. Uh, I think people are polite in most places, and mm. certainly in general are are uh, are polite here. And um, um, yeah, so I had a few people who wanted to argue with me, <laughs> and I've had a lot of people come up to me on the sidewalk, but not most of them very polite. Actually, most of them quite the opposite, wanting to mm. to talk to me. So I guess because they watched that program or or whatever. Yeah. And um, it's a small place. Yeah, it's a small. Yeah, it's it's nice, and uh, um, you know, one of the events I guess was sold out, the God event, and uh, which was yeah. unfortunate. Well, maybe it wasn't unfortunate, but anyway, it was sad that more people couldn't come if they wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was an interesting event in in talking to Professor Lloyd Lloyd Gearing, who's yeah. <laughs> I only looked him up today, but he's he's ninety four. Ninety four. He, he did certainly did pretty well for ninety four. He wouldn't know he's ninety four. No, yeah. exactly. Um, so I, I thought he sort of had a fairly sort of soft spot in his heart for religion. Oh, he certainly and, well, not was obvious he did, but but nevertheless, I guess one can forgive him at ninety four. Yeah, <laughs> I hear he likes to dress up. So I mean, not as a woman, but as a, <laughs> so so maybe that, and that's I think primarily as far as I can tell, that was the best reason for keeping the word Christianity in what he was doing because. The rest of what he talked about had nothing to do with Christianity. No, exactly. And his book, Christianity Without God. Yeah, so yeah. It's kind of like, well, it's just I wonder the, what the point is. Well, the point is dressing up, I think. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, okay. Um, you describe yourself as an anti-theist. Yes. So what's the job description for that? Well, it's quite simple. It's just, it's just an atheist. It seems, it's, you know, it's hard to say what an atheist is. Uh, an atheist is okay, too. It's sort of no, not, not worrying about any God. But, but the, the claim that... that, that that there is no God is, is sort of a little stronger. And as a scientist, I can say it's highly unlikely, but I can't say there isn't with certainty. But what I can say is that I wouldn't want to live in a universe with one. Hmm. That I can say with absolute certainty. There's no way I would want to live in a universe with a God. And so um, I rebel against the very idea. Hmm. Okay. That's quite a nice description. Yeah. And, you know, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want to live in a universe with a cosmic Saddam Hussein who, who doesn't just condemn you to his prisons for, for life, you know, if you disobey him, but for all eternity, it just seems, hmm. seems awful. Well, I, get, worth. I guess you could never really do scientific experiments if, if well, you were to assume that was a god and fiddle was said, Well, he said every time, yeah, every time he went in the laboratory, he was an atheist, and <laughs> because, because he assumed no one was twiddling with the knobs, and therefore, why shouldn't he be an atheist outside the laboratory? I absolutely agree, and, the, and what would be nice, I mean, what would, what would change one's mind is if there was some evidence... Uh, but there isn't, so 
it's perfectly reasonable to make the working assumption that there's nothing, no one pulling the yeah. strings. And until there's some evidence of that, it's a reasonable working assumption, a far more reasonable working assumption than that there is, just like if it's a far more reasonable assumption that little green men are not visiting us from <laughs> other stars. You know, I can't prove it, but it's not a very reasonable assumption. Mm -hmm. um, I want to ask you about the Origins Project. Mm -hmm. um, so, it's, I love the name, because Good, given it. that, we, well, it seems like fighting talk. Uh -huh. um, so, was that the reason? Well, I don't think it was fighting talk. Well, I mean, it's an active name, and Origins is a very charged name, but it really is, or there's a reason for it, and it, I alluded to my, my talk yesterday, it's there, all of the, as far as I can see, most interesting questions in almost every field have to do with origins. And so, so if you're interested in really the forefront of knowledge, scientific knowledge in particular, then, then, then origins is a, is a unifying theme. It also captures the public's imagination, and since the project is really designed around multiple ends, the research end and the public end and a teaching end. It's, it's a nice way to get people interested and also a nice way to, to envelope uh, knowledge that isn't disciplinary but more broad. Mm. Okay. So what is, the, what is Arizona like as a state in terms of what you're fighting against with the Origins Project? Is well, it as bad it, as some of them, or is it? Well, it's 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 been you know it's it's as bad as some in some ways and not in others. It's it's more, you know there's ignorance and and but 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 I don't know whether religious fundamentalism is so uh, ubiquitous there as it is in even even in Ohio where I was where I was in an enclave around Cleveland which was liberal. Ohio was a bastion of sort of fundamentalism. Uh, and Arizona's more libertarianism, and so it's sort of more don't don't tread on me. And mm. I mean, they're still ignorant, but it's not. I, I don't get the sense of as much fundamentalism. Um, so I haven't had the same interesting, same pushback from religious people in Arizona. Mm. The the worst pe people in Arizona are the Catholic Church, not the fundamentalists. Yeah, as well. far as I can tell, they they've done some horrendous things. The bishop, well, the bishops are generally. Evil people, but uh, certainly moronic, um, and and they you know they did something with the Catholic hospital in Arizona that was just just criminal in my mind. So I mean the, mm. there was a woman through woman with three kids who was going to die from who was having another child and she was going to die in childbirth and they basically the bishop and the, and they obviously were an abortion and saved her life and the bishop uh, they got rid of the, they just they um, disavowed the hospital they just disconnected his affiliation removed his affiliation wow. with the Catholic Church hmm. so I think that the bishop should be tried for you know for uh, not for what do they call it uh, intent to murder or whatever yeah. Yeah. anyway so, so what's your opinion of the influence of fundamentalists on religion in the US is it, is it do you think it's increasing or it's decreasing well they're noisier <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, they certainly have a well, it's a power thing more than anything, and they're they are they they have they have gained the control of of one of the major political parties, or at least a yeah. fair fraction of the parties, and so that is um, yeah, I'd say they're 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 much more um, they're a much bigger force. I mean, for example, I really can't quite understand how the, their objective of the present statement of gay, gay marriage as infringing on religious liberty. And I don't, I don't, I just don't understand those words because marriage is a civil, is a state. I mean, thing. It doesn't force the, you're not forcing the churches to 
to, to convene gay marriages, but who the hell cares what the churches do? I, mm-hmm. I have to write about that at some point. I, I don't understand what, what, what gay marriage and religious liberty have to do with one another. Well, there's been some lovely things going around the internet of definitions of religious marriage. Um, so taken from the Bible passages, you know, that a, a marriage would be a man and 700 women or a man and, you know, it, it's been quite funny. So... Well, that's they true. Don't I mean, really religion, definition no of religious marriages either. Yeah, I know, but I mean, I don't see that deciding what the state can do is an is an is an attack on religious liberty. It's just um, if they don't like it, they don't have to marry them in mm-hmm. the church. But that's not. But marrying people in the church isn't what's recognized legally. Mm-hmm. Is what the state does, yeah. and 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 therefore, um, I'm, I'm amazed when people talk about liberty. Somehow, making granting freedom to certain people is an offense on, on, on religious liberty. And maybe that's true. Granting rights to women is an offense on li- <laughs> li- li- religious liberty. And, and um, religious liberty maybe is defined to be um, discrimination. Mm. Uh, okay. I wonder if, if the rise in fundamentalism is sort of exposing religion for the absurdity to the, that it is to more people. Well, it's always, it certainly is. When they, when they, especially when they get these political candidates spouting nonsense, it's great. It's great fun. Mm. I'm great, sort of sad that Rick Santorum's out of the race because he's fun to write about. <laughs> <laughs> but do you feel like you're preaching to the converted when you write these things? Well, sometimes I certainly am. Sometimes I'm openly provoking. provoking. Yeah. Um, it just depends. Generally, I find wherever I write that there's sufficient. Well, the internet, you'll forgive me, is the comments of the internet are usually imbecilic anyway, but in almost any little thing that I write. But. Mm. It, but, but um, but I've always find that almost the majority of com- comments on almost anything I write are negative, so that's so good. So including somebody's... Well, so I suppose that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, I don't know. So do you think that science popularization actually leads people away from religion? Or is I it think, just I mean, well, in principle, yeah, it's not the reason I do it. I certainly, that's not my agenda. I think it's a, it's a, as a consequence, it's likely, and that's a good thing. Mm. But, but my interest is more in, in explaining the way the world works. Than oh, indeed, indeed. And, and, and people finding out how things work yeah. and why, why we know things. Yeah, like exactly. And, that's, and so if all of that leads you to threaten your faith, well, that's fine with me. I have no problem with that. <laughs> yeah. But it's not the intent of what I do. Yeah. So in terms of your, your intent then, um, so clearly you're an amazing science communicator, well, um, you. which <laughs> I think as a physicist... Is, can be surprising um, if we think of uh, the Big Bang theories yeah. <laughs> depictions of, of physicists. Um, so, I was reading an article just the other day published in PLOS One about how scientists uh, perceive their own science communication and, um, and how people around them, how they behave about their communication. Um, and one of the things that lots of people said was that, um, that their colleagues don't like it. The sort of popularization of science is sort of is deemed a bad thing because it's like not doing real science. Whereas clearly well, you're doing very real science with a massive publication of this. But how are your how well, are your that colleagues? gives me the excuse to do what I do. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm guessing no, at the Origins project your colleagues are very much on board because that's one of the aims of the project. But what about in other places? Well, you know, it's take it, there are reactions. There are different sets of reactions. I think. Um, you know, there's always some consternation about popularization, but at the same time, I think the scientific community now more than ever realizes that it's important. Mm-hmm. So, um, if you're honest and do it reasonably well, so I find on the whole, 
my colleagues are more appreciative than less. But yes, there are no doubt several honorific things that I would have otherwise that I don't have because, um, at least in part, because uh, probably because of the fact that I'm a very popular figure. And that, you know, that, as I say, I think they're mostly support for it, great support, because they realize it's important. But there's no doubt it's probably viewed with a mixture of, of, of worry that, that it, it, you're not doing science, although I am. And also, frankly, just professional jealousy. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, that happens, you know. It's, it's more, you know, uh, you, you get well-known and people get, you know, people get <laughs> bit jealous, and I guess that's understandable. So that leads me to my other question. How the hell do you do it? How do you maintain this amazing, you know, um, you know, you're writing your popular books and you're doing your whistle-top tours, talking to everybody, and you're still running an institute and, and doing great science. How do you do it? Do you sleep? Uh, well, I, I, not a lot. Uh, it's just nervous energy, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, just, just uh, nervous energy and not, not sleeping and working in odd places and the, and the desire to do it, I guess. That's the real way to read. Mm. They're all things I kind of feel I, I am... Um, I need to do, so I do. Mm -hmm. That's simple. Well, we're very grateful that you do. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, some days I am myself, some days I'm not. Yeah. Depends on the day and how much sleep I've had. <laughs> and whether I'm in an airport struggling through security. So how much do you travel? Too much. I mean, I've been around the world twice in the last month, I guess. Wow. You know, I've been, was in Australia and... The last two and a half weeks I've been in Australia and then Czechoslovakia for a day and then New York and then uh, Washington DC then back in Phoenix and across the country and back in DC and then here. So your I'll carbon go back footprint's home tomorrow rather large. I'll be in Canada the next day. <laughs> your but, carbon footprint's rather large. Yeah, but I yeah, it is, but yeah, I never asked you to catch off six Well no, I like to say that the planes would fly even if I wasn't on them, so I feel so <laughs> <laughs> <Indeed. laughs> So tell us about Miley Cyrus. Oh, yeah, I mentioned that the other day. Well, you, you, um, she um, liked a quote of mine, and which someone had posted about everyone being star stardust, and which ended with, you know, so so forget Jesus, the stars died, so you'd be born. And she yeah. took that, and there was a picture of me and a, a quote, and uh, she tweeted it to her six million followers, and caused a great stir in the United States, at least in the United States, because of course she's a Christian sort of young mm. Christian girl. And, and, and she said, forget Jesus. And she actually responded quite intelligently. She or her publicist, I'm not sure. I didn't get to ask. But I, I maintain, of course, that people misunderstood it. She tweeted it with the words beautiful. And people were shocked and offended. And I just explained that it wasn't the quote she was calling beautiful. It was just my picture. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, one wonders if she actually read the complete source of the quote. Or... Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't care. If she actually read it, hmm. I'm impressed. I mean, I'm pleased that it provoked her to at least think about the fact that we're all stardust. And, and she didn't mind the last quote so much, which showed some intelligence. And, and you know, that it, even if you take it as a, you know, even if you take it as a joke, it, it, it shows that the idea itself is indeed beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it is. Yeah, so if you can rise above your religious fears and, and your, 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 your paranoia of, of anything, any questioning of, of, of faith, then then uh, you can actually enjoy things, and she seemed to. So it was a, anyway. Reaching Miley Cyrus was a was a pinnacle of my, <laughs> of my career. 
Yeah, oh, well, it probably gave you more exposure to, to people who would never have heard of you otherwise. Uh, maybe, and, you know, all those negative exposures to them. But, yeah, I think, it, uh, I, at least also, I have to say, among a large group, at least the ones who who either email me or write on Facebook or whatever, it also increased Miley Cyrus's credibility. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that she got a lot of positive press because of me, at least from a certain fraction of the community. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Maybe that was the reason for doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so just questions? coming back to your, your book, The Universe from Nothing, so I, um, having, having read it myself and having attended your lecture last night, I, thought, um, I actually think I and now understand most of it, which is good. good. Oh, that's great. Um, uh, wh- what, what do we still have to discover about the Big Bang? Uh, and, and do we know the reasons for inflation? Well, uh, no. <laughs> um, uh, well, we, we really need the big, the biggest uncertainty. Of course, the biggest open question is: is, is t equal zero? We don't have laws of physics mm-hmm. to take us back to right at the beginning, and that's where we where we, we speculate and 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 uh, try and explore ways to understand what the the actual moment of, of of creation, if you wish. And I think that's one of the biggest uncertainties. Big Bang. The other are are, are obviously what's the nature of the dark energy that's that's prompting mm-hmm. the expansion and. And, um, and, and, and other interesting questions, how did structure forms, did black holes form before stars or vice versa? There are lots of open questions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, inflation is a fascinating idea, but it's an idea in search of a theory. It's not yet a theory. It's a, it's a, it, you know, the idea of inflation is so compelling that it's hard to imagine it didn't happen, but, but there's no good model that predicts it. And so we really need to understand more about particle physics and maybe what ways to probe for what might have happened during inflation to see if it... A to prove to to be reasonably certain that it happened, we're well, we're pretty sure. But mm. but there are tests that I've been exploring to try and really explore inflation versus alternatives. Uh, but also, you know, from particle physics, we need to more understand more about fundamental model building to to understand the nature of uh, uh, of the of the microphysical world to see how to na- inflation might naturally fit in. Mm. Okay. Okay, so you need a model that actually would predict that it happens. Yeah, there's none. I mean, no, none that you'd write down without knowing that it happened. Mm-hmm. You can write down lots of models, but they're all contrived. They're all ugly except for the model builders. I mean, no one thinks they're beautiful except like mothers and children. <laughs> um, that, you know, except for their, their, their people who, their, who uh, produced them, gave birth to them. They're, they're viewed as ugly by everyone else. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can I just say, as a biologist, mm-hmm. I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed your lecture last night. Um, especially your uh, Einstein's equation <laughs> for biologists. <laughs> well, I pick different groups to make fun of at different times. But... Well, it felt last night like you made fun of most groups. Well, I try. Well, so I you think mathematician, the string theorists, the biologists, and religious and philosophers. Don't forget yes, philosophers. philosophers. Um, yeah, sure. Well, I think everyone should be made fun of. It's a part of. I was talking about it. ridicule is a really useful thing. I mean, not mean ridicule, but it causes you to think about things. So I think. I think nothing is sacred, and if you'll forgive the pun. Hmm. So, who do you consider to be your nemesis? Nemesis? I don't. I don't think I have one that I can think of. I mean, um, you know, lately, you know, lately, you know, people seem to think some philosopher wrote a bad review of my book is, but I don't think he's of the of the stature to be even called that. I just <laughs> midget somewhere. But yeah. uh, um, uh, um, no, I don't. I, I, there are people I strongly disagree with. People I, 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 some people I, not many, but some people I suppose I despise for what they do. Mm-hmm. George Bush say, but um, 
but um, hmm. yeah, no. Anyway, life is. I'm not. Uh, life is too short to, mm-hmm. to 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 get that worked out. What is the one question that you wish you'd been asked that nobody has asked you while they've been? <laughs> How did I get to be so attractive? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, Lawrence. How did you do it? Oh, I work. I work hours every day maintaining my. Um, uh, I don't know. I mean, I yeah, I've been asked so many questions that um, I prefer not to think of the kind of questions I want to be asked because then I'm, I'll either be disappointed or I'll or I'll. Um, do prepared answers I prefer to be surprised mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it makes it more interesting for me I don't know if it makes it more interesting for the listener yeah do you, do you always get um, people trying to present crackpot theories to you of course at, I do at lectures sure. and well, after lectures usually they give me their their theories and I I, I think I told you my, my favorite line did I I can't remember no uh, I was telling someone over the weekend that, that um, I think it was from Lord Kelvin I forget who used to get letters from people with their theories, and he'd say, I'm, I'm now reading your your letter, and it's, I'm currently in the smallest room in my house, and I'm reading your letter. Your <laughs> letter's currently in front of me. Soon it will be behind me. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, maybe that's a good way to end this. Yeah. Okay. All right. okay. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Good. Okay. Good. Oh, what a wonderful oh, well, that was. That as bad was. as I thought it was going to be. I guess, I guess that'll do. <laughs> so... What that means, of course, is you don't need me to do interviews now. You guys can go off and do it on your own. Right. Um, And we have a quote for the day, Craig. Right. This one comes from um, Ray Bradbury, who uh, died last week on the 6th of June, unfortunately. That did not seem to get a lot of press. Uh, I only heard about Uh, it a couple of days after. uh, I think it was all over the internet. Anyway, the quote is, You don't have to burn books to destroy a culture. Just get people to stop reading them. Nice. I think a, um, a clip here of the Ray Bradbury song would be appropriate. Can I ask who Ray Bradbury is? No, you may not. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll Google. It's a science fiction. Um, Google, um, what's her name? Rachel Bloom Ray Bradbury. And there's be a YouTube clip. You can play the awesome. YouTube clip with the volume right up loud. No, let's not do that. Now. <laughs> I'll put a cl- I'll put a bit of that in. He, he was, was 91. Yes. Wow. Very pr- prolific yes. sci-fi he, author. Uh, yes. Ah, okay. Well, it, he claims to have only written one sci-fi book. Apparently. Oh, really? And that was Fahrenheit 451. Ah. All the rest were fantasy. of the day, and I want to put this in sort of in the form of a quiz and see if anyone knows what I'm talking about. Uh, two words which mean the same thing, uh, xenoglossia and xenolalia, and what it means is Something about talking. person's knowledge of a language never studied. Now can anyone tell me the famous case where this was disproved or debunked by a skeptic. Is this like speaking in tongues? Not well. No, it's not speaking in tongues. Speaking, speaking in tongues in is glossolalia. Right. This is xenolalia, ah, right. which is a language that you've never studied, but you're able to speak it fluently. Okay. Well, it's presumably because it's really similar to a language you know or something. No, no, no. one knows the exact case I'm talking about. No. A woman 
in, I want to say the UK, um, hang on, I should have looked this up. Uh, tap, tap. Find it on the interwebs. Yeah. Um, a woman who suddenly, for no apparent reason, started speaking fluent uh, Gaelic, I think it was. And it was after some sort of trauma or possibly a uh, hypnotherapy past life regression, uh, which certainly was the explanation that was proffered. Um, and it was investigated by skeptics at the time, and I can't find the actual... I can't find anything off the top of my head, but uh, you can look it up if you like. I'll try and find a link um, to it. It was quite a while ago. Um, and basically what they discovered was that when she was very, very young, she lived next door to a lady... Gaelic lady or something. ..who spoke <laughs> Gaelic a lot. And uh, somehow that was absorbed, I guess you'd say subconsciously, mm. and she didn't remember the um, mm. the lady or the fact that she used to speak to her in Gaelic, but then all of a sudden she had a bit of a knock on the head and uh, she remembered it and was able to speak it uh, in some form of fluency, mm. whether right. it was completely or not. But it so could have also been in her past life. It could also have been a past life, yes. I suppose that didn't technically disprove anything. Mm. But um, So that's the word they, they found a, a more parsimonious explanation. Indeed. Yeah. Occam's razor to the rescue. So, xenoglossia or xenolalia, if you wanted to know. Very good. And that's it for this month's episode. You've been listening to the Completely Unnecessary Skeptical Podcast. Uh, if you'd like to send a message or feedback, check out the Contact Us form on our webpage, thecusp.org.nz. That's cool. We're not, we're not professionals, so uh, oh, okay. that sort of thing doesn't matter to us. <laughs> Good. Okay. Come on, baby, I'm down on one knee. I carved our names on a Halloween tree. You write about Earthlings going to Mars, and I write about blowing you in my car. You won an Emmy Award for the screenplay adaptation of Halloween Tree. Burn me, baby.